and welcome to the Bonus Action Podcast, the show that explores 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons one rule at a time in short 15-minute episodes. I am your host, James Intracasso, and I'm here with my favorite RPG muser, host of Behind the DM Screen, and official editor of the Tome Show, Sam Dillon. How are you, Sam? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? I am doing excellent. What are we talking about today? Well, tonight we are discussing the rules for spellcasting in Dungeons & Dragons. You can find an explanation of this rule in the Player's Basic Rules D&D PDF on pages 78 to 81, or in the Player's Handbook on pages 201 to 205. Now, it's hard to put all of spellcasting in a nutshell, because all classes cast spells differently. Except for the Monk and the Barbarian... All other D&D classes in 5th edition have at least one archetype option that lets a character cast spells. We'll get more into the differences between those classes in another podcast. Today, we're going to look at all the basic parts of all spells. Now, all spells have a power level ranging from 0 to 9. Your least powerful spells, like Magic Missile, those are level 1. While your super-duper, uber-powerful spells like Time Stop, those things are up there on level 9. Your level 0 spells, those are normally called cantrips. They're the least powerful, but also the spells that are cast the most, because of course they don't require a spell slot. Now, all spells also have an associated school of magic. Abjuration spells are protective. Conjuration spells transport creatures and objects from one place to another. Divination spells reveal hidden information and predict the future. Enchantment spells affect the minds of other creatures. Evocation spells manipulate magical energy to produce a desired effect, like a fireball. Illusion spells deceive the senses of other creatures. Necromancy spells manipulate the forces of life and death. And transmutation spells change the properties of a creature, place, or object. These schools are especially important to the wizard class, which specializes in one of these schools. All spells also have a casting time. This is the time that's required to produce the spell's effect. These casting times range from as short as a bonus action for spells like Healing Word to as long as an hour for spells like Raise Dead. Some spells can even be cast as reactions, which we discussed on a previous episode. All spells also have a range, which gives an optional area for the spell's point of origin. Ranges can be just within the area a caster occupies, also known as self. They could be just within the areas a caster can touch, known as touch. Or they could be feet or even miles away in some cases. And all spells also have components that are required for their casting to be completed successfully. A spell with a verbal component requires the caster to be able to speak while casting the spell. A spell with a somatic component requires that a caster performs an intricate series of hand gestures. A caster must have at least one free hand to cast any spell with a somatic component. If the caster has the warcaster feat, though, no free hand is needed to cast a spell with a somatic component. Now, the third type of components are material. In most cases, a character can use a spell component pouch or a spell casting focus, like a staff, orb, or wand, in place of the actual component listed in the spell's description. However, if a cost is indicated for the component in the description of the spell, the caster must have that specific component. For instance, the diamonds needed for raise dead or resurrection. 
If the spell states that a component is consumed by the spell, then the caster must provide the component for every casting of the spell. A caster must have a hand free to access these components, but it can be the same free hand used to perform somatic components. Finally, all spells have a duration. Many spells are instantaneous. That means that the spell either harms or heals or creates or alters the creature or object in a way that can't be dispelled because its magic exists for only a very, very short amount of time. That is, an instant, less than the time it takes for a full turn. Other spells last rounds or minutes or hours or even years. Some spells can end early if a caster loses concentration. For more on concentration, check out Episode 2 of Bonus Action Podcast. Most spells require you to pick one or more targets to be affected by the spell's magic. A spell's description tells you whether the spell targets creatures, objects, or a point of origin for an area to affect. More on that later. To target a creature, object, or area, you need to have a clear path to it, and you need to be able to see the target. In most cases, a caster can target itself with a spell, unless the description specifies that a hostile creature must be targeted, or a creature other than the caster must be targeted. Some spells have an area of effect. That means that the caster chooses a point of origin within the spell's range where the energy of the spell erupts. Areas of effect can be shaped into cones, cubes, cylinders, lines, or spheres. A cone extends in a direction you choose from its point of origin. A cone's width at a given point along its length is equal to that point's distance from the point of origin. A cone's area of effect specifies its maximum length. When you select a cube's point of origin, it lies anywhere on a face of the cubic effect. The cube size is expressed as the length of each side. And a cylinder's point of origin is the center of the circle of a particular radius, as given in the spell description. The circle must be either on the ground or at the height of the spell effect. The energy in a cylinder expands in straight lines from the point of origin to the perimeter of the circle, forming the base of the cylinder. The spell's effect then shoots up from the base or down from the top to a distance equal to the height of the cylinder. A line spell extends from its point of origin in a straight path up to its length and covers an area defined by its width. When you select a sphere's point of origin, the sphere extends outward from that point. The sphere's size is expressed as a radius in feet that extends from that point. Now, many spells require a target to make a saving throw. The type of saving throw is specified in the spell's description, and the DC for this saving throw is 8, plus the caster's spellcasting ability modifier, plus the caster's proficiency bonus. Some spells require the caster to make an attack. Their effect is not instantaneous, and it does not automatically take effect. They have to make an attack roll. In this case, the caster rolls a d20 and adds their spellcasting ability modifier and their proficiency bonus. The resulting number is compared to the target's armor class, and they have to meet or beat that armor class to make sure that the spell hits and takes effect on that target. Now, because of the mental focus and precise gestures required for spellcasting, you must be proficient with the armor you are wearing in order to cast a spell. You are otherwise too distracted and physically hampered by your armor for spellcasting. So wizards who have no armor proficiency to speak of that comes with their class, they 
cannot wear armor if they want to get their wizardly ability of spellcasting. Now, the effects of different spells combine while the durations of those spells overlap. The effects of the same spell cast multiple times do not combine. They don't stack. Instead, the most potent effect, for example, the one with the highest bonus from those castings, applies while their durations overlap. For example, if two clerics cast Bless on the same target, that target gains the spell's benefit only one time. He or she doesn't get to roll two bonus dice and add two attacks and saves. Exactly. So, as you can see, spellcasting rules require careful reading of the spell descriptions. There are so many spells in the player's handbook, and the DM can't know them all. So it really helps if the PCs get to know the spells that they are preparing and casting well. And if you haven't checked out Episode 2 of the Bonus Action Podcast yet, we suggest that you do, because it deals with spellcasting and concentration. And spellcasting and concentration go hand-in-hand, and they're very important for any player who's playing a spellcasting PC to understand those rules pretty well. We hope you enjoyed this short rule discussion. If you like the show, I encourage you to visit thetomeshow.com and use our affiliate links for Amazon.com and dndclassics.com to support the show while you shop. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does throw a few copper pieces into the Tome Show's belt pouch, allowing us to stay on the air. And we'd like to send out a special shout-out to Tome Show listener Rob Fiorandino. Thanks for listening, Rob. We appreciate your support. And if any other listeners out there have suggestions, corrections, or comments, feel free to leave a comment at thetomeshow.com, where you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com, or you can even call the Tome Show's biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. The music used in this episode was composed by Eric Michaels. Sam, where can listeners find you? You can find me, as always, on Twitter at DM Samuel, or you can find me at my blog at rpgmusings.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash James or follow my blog at worldbuilderblog.com.